Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Today is the day. It has finally happened. We're talking about Wagner on Opera After Dark. I just want to go on the record saying that I was outvoted <laughs> two to one on this, and I felt attacked. Right. Um, and this is why this is happening. I'm not happy about it. For anyone who is not a fan of Wagner, I'm here for you, and your concerns will be voiced. Right. It Wagner should be sucks. it should be known. I mean, you already gather, but also if you've listened to uh, any number of episodes of this podcast, you will know that Elspeth hates Wagner. I think we could mm-hmm. say hate. It's not a doesn't like. She hates him. No, I hate him. That's fair. Yeah. And certainly whether you like him or you don't, I feel like Wagner is is very good at generating opinions because the people that love Wagner really love Wagner. I mean, I guess that's true. No one is apathetic on Wagner. No one who's like a music person. That's true. Is apathetic on Wagner. And there's right. people who are like, there's so many degrees of which you can place yourself on the spectrum of Wagner love or mm-hmm. hate. Because it's like, you can really love Wagner in the ring, like be like a Wagnerite and a ring head. And like, you know, you wear the horns and the helmet and the whole is, thing. Is that what they call themselves? I had I had a conversation with someone who today who said that they're going to see Die Valkyra three times in the span of seven days, and they're extreme Wagnerites. But then they said, "I'm not like a complete ringhead. I don't wear the helmets." That's, oh my god! You guys have your own like <laughs> names. Oh. That's funny because literally within the past week, I spoke to somebody who said, "Yes, I will be going to see the Ring in Chicago later this year," and I. And my husband will be wearing the helmets. Is it so, a big ring year? Is there some sort of anniversary of something? Or people are just like, it's ring time. I think it's always ring time. It just depends on where you're at. <laughs> For some people, it's always ring time. You know what I mean? Like Every people, year is a ring year. People tr- in the world. travel the world to see the ring. That's and true. So, people, you know, they, they travel to Bayreuth mm-hmm. right? every summer. And you have to... You have to stagger your ring. Like, I feel like if you're going to do a ring, you need to wait until somebody else already does their ring. You know, not not everybody can do the ring at the same time. Right. Mm. And, I, and I also think partially it's for booking the singers because there's like, right. you know, a, a finite number of people that can sing these roles. That's true. And like a, a singer that can actually sing over a Wagner orchestra, it's a very particular like strength and type of voice. And so there's only there's. A smaller pool of singers in the world that specialize in these roles and so mm-hmm. if you want the best of the best you got to stagger it 
And right. since people travel all over the place, you don't want your ring cycle to coincide with another ring cycle that's within an easily travel divide your audience travelable distance. Right. I think before we get too deep into talking about this, we should <laughs> we should qualify. It's worth just getting out there. So we mentioned that Elspeth hates Wagner. There is a reason. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's tied to the music. Uh, Elspeth, would it's you... It's kind of tied to the music. <laughs> would you like to give your own explanation? Look, um, a lot of people have a hard time separating the creator of the music with the music. Um, I have a hard time doing that with Wagner as somebody who is Jewish myself. Um, I have a hard time... Like, not like he's getting money every time that these pieces get performed because he's you know, <laughs> super dead. But, like, uh, supporting his music because he was, like, a raging anti-Semite who was pretty racist. His wife, Cosima, was, like, worse. Cosima, who was Liszt's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Fucking weird, man. Fucking weird. <laughs> um, he was just, like, a raging anti-Semite. The Nazis were super into Wagner. Um... Yeah, and also I think he's really long-winded, which is a funny thing to say about opera in general, because um, everything is long-winded, but I just feel like Wagner's really long-winded, and sometimes it doesn't take 25 minutes right. to express the, the, like, the sentiment that you love somebody. Right. Yeah, and I do, so I, I think it's worth saying that a, a large amount of the hatred stems from the the some of the dirty deeds in the life of, of Wagner, at least some thoughts and opinions that he expressed, which are are documented and not that's not really disputable. You know, people can talk forever and ever about whether or not they enjoy his music, but mm-hmm. the the proof is in the pudding that, that we know these things about Wagner. And so I personally think it's it's really fair to for someone to have a hard time to just uh, ignore those things. Right. Oh, if for we, sure. Um, he was he was a horrible person. If I could quote quote him for but a moment, um, he wrote in 1850 that the Jew is incapable of artistic expression, neither through his outer appearance nor through his language, and least of all through his singing. Instead, Wagner believed Jews could only imitate art. Um, he wrote a whole pamphlet called um, Das Judaism in der Musik, which is Jewishness in music, and as you can imagine. It's not great. Mm-hmm. It's pretty problematic. Um, if you look at some of his operas, like Lohengrin, especially Parsifal, not only is it super anti-Semitic, but it's like so fucking racist. Um, and you can say it's a product of the time that it was written in, which I understand that argument, but there were a lot of people that were writing music at that time that weren't like, Jews fucking suck, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I think you're exactly right. The Nazis didn't like a lot of music that was written at that time period, you know? Yeah. It it was also because Wagner was so influential and vocal about his anti-Semitic views, it was so easy to, for the Nazis to take a hold of that and be like, look at this amazing art. Right, and that's part of the larger problem. Yeah. Right. Right, Mm -hmm. that Wagner's music is so tied to the Third Reich and Hitler and the Nazi party. Mm -hmm. And also, talking about, like, horrible women that uplifted the men they were married to like um like Alma Mahler Cosima Wagner like was the worst the yeah. worst like yeah. she oh 
So yes, I think with us now talking about Wagner on Opera After Dark, and uh, we'll be talking about him quite a bit over the next few weeks as we are getting into <laughs> the ring cycle. And actually, that was very well timed because I was going to say there will likely be some groans, some naysaying throughout, and that is why I think it's important that we put that out there to say with the immense musical output, there are also some problematic things, and we said it, and so now you know. But still... I'm not, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm not saying that people in this day and age that listen to Wagner's music automatically are racist and anti-Semitic. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying, me personally, I don't really want to give his music the opportunity. Yeah, I think that's right. To, to be listened to by me. I can also not groan and comment, and I'll just sit here in the corner and just pour a little bit more of this wine that I thought was rose, but I think is white, which is deeply upsetting to me on a lot of levels. <laughs> so, um, so the I'll day's full the of. The day's, the day's full, full of, of disappointment. Um, before we get uh, into uh, the ring and into Rheingold, uh, I want to address one thing. Um, we got a comment on our Facebook page, and I just want to talk about it for one second. Um, so, Sarah, if you're listening, you are correct. John Thomas um, in Miss Saigon does sing in a song um, called Buidoy. Um, and we didn't mention it and we said that John didn't sing and that was my bad and I'm sorry and you're right. Um, I know you said you really liked it, but I think We Do is a real shit song. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That is fair. I'm sorry, Sarah. Everyone has their own opinion and that's mine. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and thank you for commenting. We love the thank comments. You for commenting. We love yeah. your emails. Love uh, them. At the same point, I am just going to put it out right now that uh, a big thank you to everybody that has gone on and started supporting us on Patreon. Woo! Uh, yeah, it's we really super, appreciate it. It's yeah, it's exciting. really meaningful to us, and, and we have um, some pretty great plans for this podcast and, and growing it and developing our content. And so uh, thank you all for, for your support in that way. It helps us move things along, definitely. So, Naomi, we also have another announcement to make uh, that's actually pretty timely for everyone. Mm. (laughs) Hopefully everybody's listening to this on release date. (laughs) Uh, Part of the reason that we are talking about The Ring and Wagner uh, is partly because currently the Met is in their uh, ring cycle. They have it on the stage. In the thrones of the ring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But... I'm also really excited to announce. I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. No, go but for it. I'm you're proud. almost you're less terrified and more excited than I am about this. Right. So. Don't be scared. It's gonna be so great. I'm proud <laughs> to say that our very own Naomi Baratera will be a panelist on the Met Opera Quiz on Saturday, March thirtieth, twenty nineteen, uh coinciding with the radio broadcast of which opera is on that day? Die Valkyrie. Die Valkyrie. The second opera in the ring cycle. I just wish I could be there in person because when they announce you for the panel, I would full on jump in with the ride of the Valkyries. Yes. Yeah, it's very exciting. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I'm also a little bit nervous just because... I am a perpetual overachiever, and so Mm -hmm. I am nervous about the quiz component of the 
of the panel because I want I want to get an A because I'm like that all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily about winning. It's about like doing the best on the test. Nice. Right. Can you, Naomi, can you tell us a little bit about what is involved with the opera quiz? I mean, it's, if you've ever listened to the broadcast, they don't do the quiz on every single Saturday broadcast. They do it on a couple of different ones. Um, It's kind of a mixture between discussion questions and straight up quiz questions. Okay. So... I'm not kidding that I'm actually going to be, like, studying for this so that <laughs> I can, like, rhyme things off at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So um, you're, like, a contestant, and you will be answering questions. You don't have to come up with questions or anything like that? I do not have to come up with questions, no. Okay. I just have to answer questions, and I do not know what the questions are in advance. Wow. And they could be anything, Um but about Wagner, connected to the opera, related. connected yeah. to like essentially anything ring related. And so that's a pretty wide net. Mm-hmm. So Are I'm going to make flashcards. I'm definitely going to make flash flashcards. I'm actually going to Boston next week for a trip and I have four hours on the train each way. And so I'm definitely going to be quizzing myself on the train about ring cycle related trivia. So if you're hearing this and this before the 30th, make sure to listen, listen. for Naomi. Yay. Her international radio quiz debut. I guess so. It's international, We're... right? Yeah. Am I freaking you out? No, my okay. parents listen to it in Canada. Oh, so right. It's international. I listen to it in Phoenix. What's up? There you go. Well, that is in the U.S., so oh, national. Sorry, <laughs> I, I missed that part. I didn't realize that you, yeah. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting that out. Nope. Keep that in. Keep it in. So, yes, we're extremely excited for Naomi, and uh, we'll be anxious to hear her on the... Not anxious, Naomi. We'll be <laughs> eager eager to eager. hear her on the... I'm going to study hard. ...the Met Opera Quiz. And, of course, we'll post about this on our social media, so make sure you find Opera After Dark on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. have more detailed information about how you can find Naomi's Opera Quiz moment. <sighs> Yay. Her one shining moment. My shining moment. That American Idol song? There's an American Idol song? (laughs) No. Isn't that what they sang at the end? No. Moment like this. Oh, God. Some people (laughs) wait a lifetime. Oh, Kelly Clarkson. Moment like this. Okay. Yes. So to help me prepare for the opera quiz, we're going to be sprinkling the Opera After Dark podcast with... The ring cycle. Right. Ah. So what we're actually going to do today is that we're going to talk a little bit more about my least favorite composer um, and then the ring cycle in really general terms. And then we're going to follow up in upcoming weeks talking about each of the four operas specifically. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, We thought that would be the best way to get the most breadth of information and to do all of Naomi's work for her in preparation. <laughs> and we're also going to try and make it such that we, we mix in some non-Wagner stuff in between the Wagner stuff. For anyone that feels like me, to give a little break <laughs> from one one specific composer. You might right. need a bit of a reprieve, so we've planned that in for you. Don't worry. We'll have Fret some not. intermezzi, if you yes. will. <laughs> Noise. <laughs> Noise. Noise. Um, so let's talk a little bit about about Richard Wagner, nineteenth uh, <laughs> century, nineteenth century composer. I feel like I'm um, not. I'm not going to be able to like uh, be serious about this, this with it. Yeah. Well, no. I just appreciate your 
you know. I'm trying here. Yeah, exactly. I, and really I appreciate it. I just want to say that. Okay, excuse me. Please continue. Okay, so he lived to the ripe old age of 70, which, I don't know, did he deserve it? Probably not. Um, <laughs> and I think the thing, well, the reason Wagner is so iconic in, in Western music, um, he did a couple of things. The first one is that he's um, one of the only known composers who also wrote his own librettos. He never worked with a different librettist. Right. Or his, his own libretti, rather, excuse me. Um, well, he did for some of his early his super early, early works, works that he then like disowned because he thought they were so horrible <laughs> right um and he sort of revolutionized the field of, of opera with this idea that he had this grand idea called the gesamtkunstwerk yes um which sort of means like this total this total work of art um which is so one of those beautiful german compound right gesamtkunstwerk gesamtkunstwerk again so kunst is art werk is work work and I guess Gazamt is, is like, like total, all everything. Total. Yeah, yeah. Again, you say something fast, it sounds like you know how to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, the idea to sort of, um, I guess, synthesize all different aspects of, of uh, like, visual art, dance, music, drama, scenery, right. uh, costumes, even the building that you're in, he wanted it all to contribute to this, like, artistic experience that you right. have as a person going to a work of opera of his. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, known for the Wagner Curtain. Right. Which he created. The first one was in um, Bayreuth. What's the Wagner Curtain? I don't know about this. A Wagner Curtain. So it's a curtain hanging down. The curtain in the Met is a Wagner Curtain. Okay. It's just hang that gold curtain. It just hangs there, and then it's got a mechanical device, which back then I'm sure was like a dude pulling pull- pull- <laughs> pull- <laughs> strings. Um, and it uh, sort of splits in the middle and curves the side and goes mm. up. That's you know, the curtain. one that you think no. we're like kind of kind of midway down the curtain, it's split in half and then midway down the two halves, it's like a string that pulls it up towards the upper corners. Mm-hmm. Right, so it looks like proscenium. it's got like sashes and mm-hmm. that's like how it opens. Classy. Hmm. It is a classy look for a curtain. Real fucking classy look for a curtain. <laughs> well, I mean... Wagner was a lover of fine things, from what I understand. Yeah. Well, it also think, means, yes. from a, a functionality standpoint, it it means that you don't have to have a curtain that either flies straight up, which mm-hmm. I feel like at the time mm-hmm. people probably didn't have, but you or also like don't have to have right something, yeah, that pushes all the way to the side. Right. It's uh, yeah. I think. I mean, whatever. I I do appreciate just in general <laughs> the the idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk as being something where each aspect is intentional. Like right. even, even the stage that you're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the building, everything is supposed to like work harmoniously to this one goal of like serving the, the story. The story, like serving the work. Um, yes. Wagner also is known for his really advanced sort of musical style, a lot of extreme, extreme for that time period, chromaticism, a lot of yes. stuff that had never really been seen before. I mean, it was seen by everyone's favorite murderer. Oh. Carlo Gesualdo. Carlo Gesualdo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it hadn't been seen since then. If you think about it, Gesualdo was what? 16th century? Earlier than that. He's he's either 1500s or 1600s. I think 15. Anyway, yeah. anyone's favorite murderer. Everyone's favorite murderer. If you want to learn more about him, there's an episode. Check out our, our feed. Yeah. It's pretty great. I'm pretty proud of the Just Waldo episode. Oh, yeah. Mainly because Kyle gets so confused. 
with I just people's love, names and he has no idea what's happening. I love um, when we record this podcast and it it just feels like you guys are making shit up. Like, it, like it's how, real. Like how could this? I was reading a police transcript. Believe me, I I believe you. It just <laughs> hearing it, it it makes me laugh. It's I it's so much fun to hear this stuff. No, it's wild. You that, can't like, make you some of this. Can shit hardly up. believe. Yeah. But yes, Carlo Gesualdo basically got away with murder and because of his extreme chromaticism. Because of his extreme chromaticism. <laughs> it's because it's he was a prince. He was a prince, yes. Yeah. Who also just like had a hobby of writing extremely chromatic music. And then his whole style is like considered kind of bananas and weird. And so it doesn't really pick up quickly. But then by the time you get to Wagner, like many hundreds of years later... Mm-hmm. People are beginning to push the envelope in different ways, but Wagner is really credited with like pushing chromaticism into a more, um, a much more dramatic place, right? Like right. he pushes it to the extreme. So it's kind of like I kind of describe it: if you have a, a balloon and the balloon is like your key signature, and and that governs kind of tonal music. Wagner like blows as much air into the balloon as he can without popping it like mm-hmm. as many chromatic yeah, notes as you can fair. get into the balloon without popping it and so because of that like the more chromatic notes you add the harder it is to like predict where the music is going it doesn't necessarily mean that it sounds bad or dissonant all the time but there's like tension in the music that you're always waiting for it to resolve and you think it's going to resolve and then it doesn't and it keeps going to a different place and then you think that's going to resolve somewhere and it doesn't and it moves somewhere unexpected. Mm-hmm. So Wagner really is like pushes that style into a brand new place. Sure. And and Wagner is sort of the is seen as the stepping stone um, for then the next level if you look at composers like Schoenberg and Alban Berg who right. sort of took the I guess the idea to uh, piggyback on the balloon sort of took the balloon and um blew so much air into it that it exploded yes. right. and you didn't know what key signature you were in what was going to happen nothing resolved the way that that you wanted it to and it sort of ushered in that next level of 20th century i guess the blank of 20th century music if you right. want to call it that it's like right. the advent of atonality schoenberg actually called it the emancipation of dissonance the emancipation of mm. dissonance yes that's a good title yes Ooh. i i love it when people say <laughs> Oh yeah, I I love Wagner. I just love it. It's you know I love it, and then almost in the same breath they go, I just can't stand twentieth century music, and it's like well, they they are closer hand in hand than maybe you realize. Very true, and Wagner is very lush, romantic, very lush, you know, very, like the lot of brass. The orchestra is huge. It's bigger than any orchestra before him. Yes, he he excessive. creates instruments, he invents instruments t- to capture a timbre that he imagined in his mind that mm-hmm. didn't exist in the orchestra. So you have this huge sound. Uh the harmonies although chromatic a lot of the time are also very lush. They're like thick chords with lots of different pitches in them and so you have these like beautiful lush sounds and they can be gorgeous and over the top and they can also be like violent sounding sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's a lot of like tension to the point where you like in, in one case, Tristan Untazolda, like the whole opera does not resolve in like a typical resolution of tonal music Think of like an amen at the end of a hymn mm-hmm. or like when you know a pop song has come to the cl- a close, it's very clear. There's like a harmonic pattern that 
signals, ah, the song is ending, right? In Tristan und Isolde, one of his operas later in his career, this doesn't happen literally until the, the end of the fourth act. Like, you have to endure four hours of this opera before you actually get a tonal resolution. And that was just considered by some people at the time, like, absolutely ludicrous to do. But yet he did it, and mm -hmm. he kind of changed the face of, of music history because of it. I do. This is probably silly, but sometimes with seeing some of these Wagner operas, I do almost appreciate that it's like a, you've earned like a, a merit badge or something like that if you sat <laughs> well, through the whole thing. You saw Der Meistersinger von Nuremberg, which is like six hours long. Right. right? I, I've actually seen that opera twice. and Yeah, so pat yourself on the back for a waste of a day. <laughs> I Yeah, seriously, 12 hours of my life. I, I genuinely Gone. love that opera. Mm. I think it, it's, there's just so many great moments, and for it being so long, I mean, it's six hours total with uh, usually two half-hour intermissions, but, but mm. even with it being so long, it doesn't feel like it's that much time that's passing and there's a lot of wonderful moments, like uh, the prize song. Uh, oh, that's beautiful. That, that our tenor lead, Walter, sings at the at the end. It's just wonderful. I think if you don't mind, I think this is a perfect opportunity to include the prize song, just so we can get a little bit get a little bit of music up in here. So I have to say, if I were ever to, like, pick up my singing skills once more and, like, really try to be legitimate, I would love to be you able to... You are legit, Kyle. Well, you, you know what I mean. Like, I'm not singing Wagner legit. I mean, most people aren't. Most people aren't. But I would... Even if you were legit, you probably wouldn't be That's singing true. Wagner. That's true. But in a, <laughs> in a dream world, I would love to sing the prize song. Aww. And, like... Sing it. Oh, this is gonna sound really cheesy, and like sing it for my wife. That would Aww. be nice. But 
It's I'm gonna. It's never gonna happen. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna say something really mean. Yes. It's gonna come across as really mean, but I actually say it out of love because I know that you know this about yourself. Mm -hmm. The benefit of the prize song for you is that it doesn't really require a ton of acting. Right. <gasps> right. No, that's. I'm telling you. Oh that my is, god, no, Naomi. She's so right. That was like legitimately rude. She's so <laughs> right? no, no, no. She is 100 percent so right. Mean. No, I'm telling you, that was oh, that was one of my biggest difficulties as a singer, is that I'm just not a good actor. It's really it's easy for me to talk off the cuff or and like interact with people and like kind of put on a, a show in that sense. But if you give me like a lines or dialogue or an opera scene to act out, it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be real bad. I I am shocked. I'm more I'm more of a I'm a Parker and a Barker. You're a Parker and a Burger. I, well, a lot of people are. I will go on record saying I've never witnessed your acting, so I'm only made this comment based off of descriptions that you yourself have painted for me. I'm just shocked <laughs> because that was legitimately rude. When you said when you like prepped for the statement, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be that bad. <laughs> you thought she's Canadian. How bad can it be? <laughs> she's Canadian. It will. It'll be nothing. Oh, but that it was can like, be bad. Harsh. Uh. Harsh. Kyle, are you okay? Oh, I'm just fine. Believe me. And I, I will say that my wife is also very comfortable pointing out that fact to me that I just am not. So, I, you know, she she keeps me humble in a loving and supporting way. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Good, good. So we're, so we're good there. I, I, I appreciate a good rib there, Naomi. So, okay. so thank you. Okay, well, your Park and Bark style would work very well with the prize song. Excellent. That, and, thanks for uh, adding fodder to my dreams. Yes, and and I do think that I I do deeply understand why you would want to be able to sing this particular piece because it's gorgeous. So, so. nice. So shall we jump into talking about the life of Wagner, or is there anything else we need to cover? We need to cover one more little musical term. Let's do it. And that is light motif. Ah, which yes was kind of a thing before this, but I feel like Wagner yes. is the only one that named it and then claimed it on his own. And then everybody fucking, everybody fucking did a, it afterwards. That's a good yes. point because people certainly did do this before Wagner. Yes. Totally. Uh, so a leitmotif, the term leitmotif means guiding motive or guiding motif. And the idea is very, very similar, if not the same, as a reoccurring musical idea a reoccurring musical theme. Mm -hmm. um, it usually signifies either like, um, like uh, an object, or even like a person has their own light motif, or like or, a feeling, or an emotion. Yeah, and or an emotion. Mm -hmm. Like everybody, everyone fucking did this. I mean, that's fine. It's opera, but and like Wagner Car is the one that's like, this is what this is called, and I invented it. Fuck that guy. Carl <laughs> von Weber was actually doing like amazing things with light motif before Wagner, and a lot of people think that he's the one that Wagner got the idea stole from. It, stole it. Yeah, but no one talks about. Carl Maria von Weber anymore. No, they don't. Um, I mean, Verdi. People almost never see their his operas, but and and yes, Verdi was also doing. Right. Verdi's doing. Puccini did it. Well, Puccini's after. So. Well, I know. <laughs> what I'm yes, Puccini's done stuff like that. Like I could even say I would think that that Mozart did it. Yeah, I don't know. To an extent, I don't know. Not, no, not in the same way. I can't think of. I just a... know very specifically Verdi was all about that light motif, just not yeah. calling it a light motif. Right. Mozart was not, he didn't use reoccurring musical themes to tie the composition together. Lies. 
<laughs> Extra close but, there. Go on, go on. But definitely people were doing this before Wagner, but Wagner like put a name on it. He took it to its absolute extreme. Right. So Wagner is credited with inventing it, which is such fucking bullshit. Right. And this has also had huge influence on film music mm. after Wagner, because if you think of some of your favorite films, like... The Avengers? Sure, The <laughs> Avengers. I was thinking Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars Harry is a Potter. Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park? The greatest movie ever. <laughs> Look, honestly, if you like saw it when you were little, um, or if you haven't seen it, you should watch it now. 100% holds up. Original Jurassic Park. Original Jurassic Park. Not, not, not any other yeah. shit. But if you think of um, a series like Star Wars, which now has like multiple installments. Right. Darth Vader has his own Darth theme. Vader has his, his own, own theme. motif. There's the, there's the love theme of Han Solo and, and Princess, Princess Leia. Leia. Mm-hmm. There is uh, Luke and Leia's sibling motif. There is the Death Star motif. Yep. There's all kinds of motifs, right? And these are musical ideas that signal to you as you're listening, oh, this Darth, is going to happen. This is going to happen. Yeah. Like you said, Harry Potter is a lot of that as mm-hmm. well. Potter, yeah. It's an easy way for people to uncon- or like subconsciously realize in a film that... This is about to happen. These right. people are about to come on screen. Right. Kind of stuff. Or these these two things are connected. Exactly. Even though you don't see why they're connected yet. Mm-hmm. Right. A great example of a television show, Lost. Oh. I never saw Lost. Lost has tons of light motifs. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I would like to go back yeah. and watch it looking for light motifs. Yeah. Also, Downton yeah. Abbey has some great motifs. Oh. Like okay, there's okay. a there's an Anna and Mr. Bates motif. It just oh, it's heartbreaking. Mr. Yeah. No, I said I'm that was ten. Mr. Bates, not Mr. Bates. Master Bates. Right. <laughs> right. So Does the dog have his own theme song? Uh no, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so. It's a fucking waste. I love okay. that I love the general theme of the show though. With the mm. dog butt? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was not even Wait, that's it. The X-Files. God. <laughs> They're a little similar. They're not at all similar. And it also has... Shut up, everyone. Another great thing that the... I don't know the name of the composer for Downton Abbey's music is that there's like the downstairs music. It has like a quicker rhythm and it feels like it's churning, like it's very busy, like the people downstairs, you know, always doing something. Is it different instrumentation? Because I've only ever seen the first, actually the first season of that series, so I don't remember. But is it like different instrumentation? You know, I'm not sure, but I'm even thinking of in the theme song. So what I just Mm -hmm. sang was like the melody of the theme song that it I would say is more associated with like the family. Upstairs. Yeah, the upstairs. Mm -hmm. But as it starts, it's like the... Like that type of thing of like this churning underneath. Mm-hmm. Go listen to it. You'll hear it. Or listen to the X Files. Or the, oh god. Um, I'm sure the X Files has light motifs too. But the long and the short of it is that Wagner's extreme use of light motifs becomes kind of he becomes credited for inventing it, the whole concept, because he used it so like to such an extreme so frequently and, mm-hmm. and it was a crutch and it's like <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> things too where part of the reason why you might need light motifs is that Wagner also wrote in a through composed manner mm-hmm. which means that 
there's no like set recitatives and arias. You don't feel like something stops and then a new section starts. It's just like a constant stream of music. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a constant stream of music, you need the audience to feel like they recognize something, right? right? Or else you're going to lose them. And so leitmotifs is a way of making sure the audience can follow along and feel like they recognize certain things or that there's a feeling of repetition that is not at all related to a traditional song structure. Mm -hmm. So he, and he, like, I'm not just talking about like 10 leitmotifs, like literally over a hundred different leitmotifs in the ring. Wow. And, and not only are there a hundred different leitmotifs or over a hundred, I don't know the actual count, but also they transform and change slightly depending on the dramatic scenario. Mm -hmm. So for example, like the sword motif where the first time you hear it, it sounds very triumphant and victorious. You might hear it later on turned a little, like the harmony being turned slightly. So it has a more foreboding sound, or maybe it's played in a different instrument mm -hmm. higher in pitch or like, higher or lower and all of these things contribute to the character of how it's spoken so it's like saying the same line of text but in saying it in ways. like many different ways mm -hmm. so that it evokes a different feeling every time and so this is another big part of the ring is kind of tracing the light motifs and what they might mean in the different ways that they are expressed throughout the whole four opera cycle so I think we have I may perhaps Elspeth will disagree with me but I think we've waited long enough to talk about the life of Richard Wagner. Oh yeah. No, I think we should. I think we should definitely um, get into that. Is there anything else we need to hit music theory wise? I think music those are theory podcast. Music theory podcast. I think <laughs> those are the most important things. Basically, he stole all the shit that he started for <laughs> the end. Um, so let's talk about Wagner. Um, Wagner is a man. Um, ooh. ooh. Dun, dun. So somehow he managed, even though he had a horrible personality and was real fucking ugly, to bag a bunch of different women. Um, <laughs> he had a terrible, when, like, gross neck beard, too. Oh, oh God. Yeah. But I kind of think maybe everybody did at that did time. Did at that time? Yeah, I don't know, whatever. So. It wasn't a great period of time for facial hair. And he, didn't he have, like, aren't there all those pictures of him with, like, that weird floppy beret? <laughs> yeah, he, he did have a thing for that particular style that of hat. That particular hat. Um, that tam o um, It's not helping, bro. Not helping. Not helping, bro. So when he um, was young, he... Um, basically, Wagner was, like, in debt his entire life. Yes. Um, and Naomi and I were talking about it, and basically, whenever he got in too deep, he just sort of, like, fled his creditors and moved to a different <laughs> town. So, like, uh, bye. Yes. Bye, dude. Um, so I feel like he, he and, and DePonte had, like, a, a similar approach to dealing with debt which was like rack up as much as you can without getting caught and then flee but and I then like just DePonte. and then just start <laughs> yes. over DePonte and start was over sassy. Yes. um so wagner he he wrote an opera called oh shit da das liebe for, das which is based on shakespeare's measure for measure the forbidden which love his, which yeah it's one of his lesser known plays mm -hmm. um and it was not a success, but he did it at the theater where one of the lead actresses was this woman named uh, Wilhelmina Planer, and she went by Mina. Um, she was a beautiful actress, and they fell in love and they got married. Do we know anything about his childhood prior to that? Like, where did he start to learn music and all of that, or is it non-important? 
I'm not I'm not well read on his childhood history, but I know that there is some messed up stuff between like his relationship with his mother and his stepfather, mm-hmm. um, connected with the fact that his but he believes his biological father died when he was six months old. Gotcha. And so somewhere um, along the way, he learned some music. From some people, he, went, he like learned it in school, and then he like showed promise, and so he went on to like the conservatory, etc., right. etc. Et As people will so. do, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, Mina. Mina. He meets Mina. He says you're hot. She's like, mm. um, <laughs> I don't and know. They, they get, I don't know, but okay. They enough to they get married. Um, and they're married a year, and then Mina meets another man and she's oh. like peace <laughs> really <laughs> she ditches him um and then he he moves i think to riga and um he which is like in the northern part of sure. europe um and he i think they keep in contact because he worked as an opera director in a local theater where um, mina's sister actually um was engaged as an actress um but suffice it to say two years later in 1839 he and mina got back together um, mm. and so they, uh, were married for a while. Wagner amassed such large debt that he actually fled to London. And, um, it said that the, it was said that, um, their passage on via ship, obviously, um, to London was so tempestuous that that stormy passage is what he used as inspiration to start writing, uh, the Flying Dutchman or in German, which I really like to say is Der Fliegende Hollander, mm-hmm. which is... Just rolls off the tongue. Love it. Um, definitely into holiday. Uh, so they're in London for a while. And Naomi, do you want to pick this back up? Because God, I don't remember. I think they stayed there for like three years. Um, and got some Wagner, debt. They amassed more debt. Wagner uh, wrote some articles and some stories for some newspapers. And, and he this... got not when he was in London, but I think he. Like, tried to go back to Germany, to Dresden, and then he got involved in some, like, really left-wing politics, mm-hmm. right? He was a socialist. Mm-hmm. He was a socialist. Which and is then... a di- meant a different thing back then. Than it now. <laughs> right. And because of his involvement in this political left-wing group, he got exiled. And so they went to Switzerland for a time. And yes. so he was actually exiled from Germany for 12 years. Right. He's still married to Mina this whole time. Right. Um... And he's also, like, still writing music, trying to, you know, get a leg up somehow. Um, right. And this whole time, Mina is falling into this depression. Wagner is having all these affairs, one of which got to such an extent that he tried to elope with the woman, but her husband found out Ooh. And, preve- and prevented yeah. it. I believe that's the... He wrote a bunch of songs. That's the Vessendock leader. Mateo- oh, no, that's somebody different. Oh, that's somebody different? Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so that happened uh, again. He uh, was living um, with at Count Vessendock's estate, right? As sort of um, I don't know, renting a place, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and he was married to this poet um, named um, Mathilde, and he wrote a bunch of songs for her called the. They're known today as the Vessendock Leader. Um, they're very beautiful. They're all about uh, romantic love and yearning and things like that. So obviously Wagner and, and Mathilde had a thing and they tried to elope but Mathilde's husband found out Otto yes. who was a, a count something like, something, something like that count. and was, was and was like no fucking way he was much more powerful and wealthy than Wagner right say. Um, but you know he's he's still married to Mina Kalsima is not in the picture <laughs> yet but right. at this point Wagner and Liszt do strike up a friendship 
Oh, yes. right. So I'm sure he's right. met he's met Cosima at this right. point. And when Wagner meets Cosima, she's already married to somebody else. Of course she, she is. She's married <laughs> to Hans von Bülow, who was a very well-respected conductor of the time. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so after so his affair with Mathilde, that Mathilde's is when Mathilde's husband Nina... was not a count. He was an extremely wealthy merchant. He was a wealthy merchant. Okay. Um, and Mina found out about the affair because she intercepted a letter between Ooh. Wagner and Mathilde, which like leave cover a, your tracks, yeah, people. Can't leave, but again, can't leave a paper trail. How, how does one how does one communicate at that point in time? You have to, there's no no other option but a paper trail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he leaves. He sort of flees back to Switzerland to Zurich, and and Mina stays back. Then he ends up going to both Venice and Paris. And in 1859, he actually goes to Paris because he's um, overseeing a production of his opera Tannhäuser. Mm-hmm. And which the performances were terrible. Like a colossal disaster. And he meets Charles Baudelaire, the French poet. Um, and then he ends up, I believe he then go- goes back to Germany and he attempts to like or that he and, and Mina attempt to reconnect, but then they decide that, like, well, they're they definitely... they try and reconnect in Paris. Oh, in Paris, She right. goes to Paris. She goes to Paris, and then they're like, you know what, this is definitely not going to work. Mm-hmm. We're going to just go our separate ways. And she ends up living in Dresden basically from that point on until her death, and Wagner does support her financially. How he did it, who knows, because... <laughs> I don't know, he's like, borrowed money from people. Um, right. So, because of his... Um, political his like super leftist socialist political leanings and all the debts and things like that he was nobody touched on this briefly like banned by the government mm-hmm. re-entry into germany and that political ban was lifted actually in 1862 um and he moved back into this town called um Biebricht, which i think was near dresden and that's when he started working on der Singer von nuremberg carl's favorite opera well mm-hmm. uh I don't know about that, but I do enjoy it. His favorite Wagner opera. Yes, definitely. Right. Um, and so in 1864, his fortune sort of took a turn because King Ludwig, Ludwig II of, Bavir- of Bavaria succeeded um, in the throne, and the king super loved Wagner's operas. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can we talk briefly? So up until this point, we've kind of glossed over, but he has a... a handful of operas out at this point are they mm-hmm. like uh, Tannhäuser Meistersinger um, right, right. so do people yes. like really like these I know Tristan is is uh, particularly uh, it stands out but like the other ones do people mixed love it's, them? It's, yeah. it's mixed but okay. King Ludwig II really loved Wagner, loved Wagner. Okay. and that's when the tide sort of changed for him at this point Wagner was starting to write the ring cycle I think the last one, Goethe Dameron, is actually the first one that he wrote, right? Huh. Or well, like, or Rheingold was the last one that he wrote. Rheingold's the last one that he finished, completed, um, I'm finalized. The timeline. <laughs> You're confusing me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Wrote. I know. Revised. Wrote. Wrote. wrote I mean, he wrote. <laughs> last one that he watched. He wrote the. Li- he wrote the libretti. <laughs> he wrote the libretti separate. Like first, he completed all the librettos. Oh, oh right, right, right. right. Then that, he goes okay, back and fine. starts writing right, music. Fine, fine, fine. I also so, want to highlight, so I don't know if we said this, Wagner was born in 1813, so in 1864 he's like 50, 51-ish. Yeah, right, yeah. and and this mm-hmm. is also actually around the time because Tristan Untazolda 
has its world premiere in 1865. Oh. And that is around the time when he met Cosima because, because the conductor, the of, conductor Tristan. of Tristan was Hans von Bülow. Which is her husband. Ah. I can't sort of um, play down the importance of King Ludwig II on Wagner's life and career because he loved Wagner so much they actually like forgave all of his debts mm-hmm. so like 1864 rolls around and this new king's on the throne and Wagner has no more debt is free to like move around and, and write music so it's a huge change for him mm-hmm. you know right and like the love of Wagner is extreme for King Ludwig II like Wagner has his own bedroom in Ludwig's castle he mm-hmm. would like spend summers there um, Ludwig was building the second castle um, in Bavaria. Um, it's what the Disney castle is modeled on, yep. Neuvonstein Castle. The, in, in, Beauty Ca- the Cinderella Castle. The Cinderella Castle, Sorry. yes. In in Neuvonstein, in the actual castle, like every single room has murals painted depicting the story of a different Wagner opera. Wow. Um, and like in that Naomi whole, has been. I've been there. I didn't know what I was getting into when I walked in there. And then like the whole <laughs> so tour gross. was all about like Wagner and King Ludwig II. Oh, that's and so I was funny. Like, this is crazy. You're like, hey. And then hey. right. And then in um, his other castle, like his childhood home, uh, Ludwig II, which was called Hohenschwangau. I'm pretty sure that in that castle, he like made his own grotto. Where he had like a swan boat that he mm-hmm. would ride around in because he wanted to pretend that he was in Lohengrin. Oh gosh! And so that's so funny. This was like obst- extreme obsession, and so when Wagner was like, "If you give me money, I'll just write operas." Oh man! By Premier- the time Tristan premieres in June, um, Tristan premieres in June. The April before that, Cosma gives birth to their. Um, daughter, first daughter, who's, who she names Isolde, oh. but everyone is a hundred percent certain that Isolde is Wagner's kid. Dang, yes. I know, right? It's just yes. ironic too, given the story of Tristan and Isolde, that like now they have this other love affair, like forbidden love affair. There's this, there was this amazing time where I was lecturing on Tristan and Isolde, and. In the audience, there was this woman who raised her hand, and I will never forget it because it was just the funniest comment where, like, we watched the end of Tristan where finally, after all of this time, you get, like, a resolution of of all of the harmonies. And I had talked a little bit about how, like, people have a lot of theories about, like, what this long, prolonged tension and unresolved harmonic structure means, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of metaphorically, interpretively. And then... Um, her comment was, you know, Wagner could have probably ended this opera a couple hours earlier if, earlier if he had just gotten some therapy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she's not wrong. I mean, she's not wrong. Uh-huh. Right. That's too funny. Okay. So Cosima has given birth to one of Wagner's children, but Hans von Bülow yeah, is like, I don't want to cause a scandal, and so I'm just going to claim this child as my own. So he claims the child as his own. He actually does that for two children that Cosima has by Wagner. What the fuck? And apparently it was was one of those situations where, like, Von Bülow knew what she was doing, and he knew about the affair, but he himself was, like, so enamored with Wagner, he was like, I don't know what to tell you because I understand why you... What? is happening was he like really charismatic in a way that pictures do not express i mean 
Wagner? <laughs> yes. I don't understand this. I mean, how he, he's like sleeping he must with this. Have been. He's sleeping with this one woman, and her husband is like, you know what? I get it. I I don't. I. I think he had a big personality. The hat. I think he had a... <laughs> the hat. I don't understand uh, what's happening. The, the neck the beard. Neck beard. Right. Oh. The neck beard, the hat. And the man's like, what, 55? I don't, not that, Hot. I mean, look, you you can get it at any age. Good for you. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> he was a genius. He was a genius. Was he? And was he? He was Cosima perceived to was be a genius. It. Yeah. Perceived to be a genius, and Cosima was, was into just like, it. am I blaming everything on King Ludwig II? Because as soon as the king is like, this guy is everything, everyone else in the world is like, oh, he must be. Oh, well, I mean, it caused a huge scandal, too, like to the point where the, the officials and people in Munich were like, we do not approve of this man, like, philandering around with von Bülow's wife so openly, and like, neither of them seem to be ashamed of this fact. Wait, so the government said that? Um, well, the, it's not the government's fucking business. No, like, like <laughs> the leading members of the court who were advisors to Ludwig II. I think mm-hmm. at that time they, they, they felt like it was their business. Right, and they basically forced Ludwig II to, like, faux exile Wagner or provide him with an ultimatum of, like, you need to either stop this or I'm going to, like, cut off your funding, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to go a different way with cut off your... <laughs> You're funding. You're funding. Wagner like goes to. You're funding, Kyle. Uh, yes. I'm gonna cut off your funding. Funding. Wagner retreats with Cosima to Switzerland for a little while, and part of this too was that like Switzerland. Von Bülow like did not want to give Cosima a divorce, right? Mm. So Von Bülow was just like, I'm cool with things, sort of like occurring as they're happening right and then finally Cosima was like this is ridiculous like I have two children by this man does she have children by Von Bülow I'm not sure if she did or not probably not if we haven't heard about it right but (laughs) but essentially she was like please divorce me so I can marry him and be with him and like not be so scorned by society eventually Von Bülow divorces her so that she can marry Wagner and they do get married um Mm-hmm. But, and also, Minna died of a heart attack in 1866. And oh, so, man. following, Nina. like, now Wagner's not married to somebody, right? So let's do this. So then Cosima's like, like, Hans, you gotta divorce me. Right. Now, right. This now is, is moment. Now is our time. It's written in the stars. Some people so, wait a lifetime. Lifetime for a moment like this. <laughs> God, why have we been talking about Wagner for so long? I know. I think it's she had three kids by him by Wagner before Von Bülow agreed. She Von Bülow, Az- come on, man, what are you doing? Azolda, Eva, and Siegfried. Ew, ew, <laughs> ew. The kid was named Siegfried. Siegfried. Yeah. We'll get into it when we talk about the actual operas. Siegfried is a production. Is like a production. He's a- <laughs> <laughs> he. Is the son of a brother and sister, and I, oh. I don't mean like I don't mean like stepchildren no. who are not actually like twins, legit twins, legit twins who saw each other and were like we look like each other, we're gonna fuck, and they did, Whoa. and they had a kid, and that's Siegfried, like the Lannisters, and she named in, in the her opera. kid like the Lannisters. They're the Lannisters. The Ring Cycle is very. Some game people of like the Lannisters. I would say like the Game of Game of Thrones is very, Game of Thrones is very Ring Cycle. Right. Yeah. Ooh, I would love to make that comparison as we get into it. 
We will. Well, Don't you, you worry. You make some notes. Let's I also it. want to point out, so Isolde clearly is also a Wagner character. So is Ava, Meister Singer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Siegfried, they're keeping obviously. It, they're keeping it on brand. Yep. Should have named one of them Elsa. Yes. <laughs> so... So yeah, finally they get married in 1870, and then um, I then so they were only married 13 years then. Yeah, but they were together a long time. That's true. So um, and then they get married. I think on Christmas, in Christmas time or something, and of then course. on the morning of her birthday after they got married, as his birthday gift to her to Cosima, he had performed for her on the steps of their home. I'm gonna hate this, right? Um, <laughs> a piece called Siegfried Idol, which basically is like Wagner's first the first music that he wrote that would eventually end up in the ring cycle I do hate it because <laughs> he had been working on the concept of like the ring cycle for a while so a long the, time. the ring cycle is like his he saw it as the pinnacle of his artistic achievement yeah. you know? it took him over 25 years to write this thing well I mean it's like what 21 hours worth of music uh, yeah and it's, is it longer than I that I think it's shorter no it's what? Then 21 hours? Because Rheingold is like two hours or two and a half hours. Rheingold's two and a it's half. Over... And like, go to Demerung and, and, and... Or four and five. Four and five, I think. Yeah, and well... What is, what is Valkyrie? Well, if it's four, total, it's like definitely over 10 hours. Right, it's like, it's like 13 hours of music or something like yeah. that. It's interminable. <laughs> right, and so he... And he's not only working on the plots and all of the interconnected stuff and the idea of leitmotifs and his whole concept of Gesamtkunstwerk. He has to write the libretti, then he mm -hmm. has to write the music, right? Mm -hmm. And so he writes the first two in the cycle, Das Rheingold and Die Valkyrie. They have their world premiere separately, like as he finished them. And then the other two, Siegfried and Gotthedemmerung, they have their world premiere in the first full ring cycle the first time that it was performed oh. at the Bayreuth Festspiel House wow. which the Bayreuth Opera House or Festival House as they call it right. now that is Wagner's house That's, Wagner built it I Wagner mean, designed it he designed it according to his own ideas of what the perfect theater would be mm -hmm. for his Gesamtkunstwerk and basically Ludwig II like almost single-handedly funded yes the construction of of the Bayreuth Festival House still functioning today. Still, still functioning, functioning today. and it's like a. Yeah. I'm sorry, Elspeth, but it's like a pilgrimage that people, some people make. It is. They're like it's it's a destination. It's still run by Wagner's descendants. And this will make you want to go, Elspeth. Will it? Wagner <laughs> remarked to Cosima that it was such a struggle to finish the building of it because it was very fraught with disagreements with Ludwig and lack of funding and all this kind of stuff. He said to Cosima, each stone is red with my blood and yours. Ooh. Why would that make me want to go? <laughs> it won't. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely won't. So I can spit on it? What? Oh, right. wow. So yes, Bayreuth is apparently Wagner's like perfect space to have Gesamtkunstwerk. So there's a few fun facts about Bayreuth. Uh, all of the seating in the audience in Bayreuth is what we call continental seating. So there are no aisles. Oh, like when it's you, just like seats. It's just seats. It's a it's a giant continent of seats. Ah, but, and so I never heard oh, that term before. Continental seating. Yeah, continental, continental seating. And mm, they so are European. in they are in rows, 
But like, if you're in the middle of that row, you are not getting up. Right. In the middle, I'm, like you're not right. getting out. Ma- until that's probably else his intention. Right. That's part of his. He's like, no, you are sitting for all of this five-hour opera. Yes. Pay attention. Yes, and he also is credited. Although I have to fact check this one. A lot of people say that he's credited with turning off the lights in the opera house because before this, as we know, with like Rossini and bel canto operas, mm-hmm. like there were like straight up gambling tables <laughs> on the orchestra floor. Like people right. eating right. dinner. Right. In the lobbies and stuff. People Baristas. Would, people would mi- mix and mingle. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at paintings of early opera houses in the actual orchestra level today that we would consider orchestra level the floor which is like prime seating today there were no seats there and the men would just like walk around smoking cigars and chit-chatting and stuff like that <laughs> right and and so what a shitty time to be an opera singer Jesus. right because it was it was like the no social one is place to go to but wagner was like no you're gonna sit there you're gonna we're gonna turn off the lights you're gonna, you're gonna, gonna pay there. attention you're gonna shut up yeah. But it was also and you know, watch this. I feel like we you have to contextualize too at that time, not not the Wagner time, but in the earlier Bel Canto, that was like one of the main forms of entertainment. So like the same opera oh, yeah. totally. the same opera would play for like weeks and weeks and weeks. So you might go multiple times mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. still like it's like, you know, having the T V on in the background. You just like do right. other things. And that was also why you had things like they call it like the ice cream aria so it's like you know the the character who's like very uh, like dramatically very unimportant like barbarina in <laughs> the nazi di figaro right <laughs> yeah her whole thing about the the pin the missing pin is like an ice cream aria where you're like okay now we can go get ice cream and we'll come back and <laughs> oh like, god if only if only that opera is long all right hey so so Not that was fun fact number one about Bayreuth, yeah. continental seating, you sit down. Fun fact number two, you apparently... Sit down and you shut the fuck up. Apparently Wagner turned the lights off in the audience and that was a huge deal. Ugh, whatever. Fun fact number three mm-hmm. is that is he's also... Right <laughs> he's, he's also one um, of the, the first uh, to what we call, I guess, bury the orchestra under the stage. Really? So oh. he comes up with the idea of an actual orchestra pit where the orchestra is lower than the audience. They are out of view of the audience. And I don't want to give him credit for anything. <laughs> and well. it, if you look at plans of Bayreuth, it's actually pretty deep, like how far down the orchestra goes. And the opening mm-hmm. between the edge of the stage and where the conductor mm-hmm. is is not like super large. And so... Wagner had this idea that he wanted the orchestra to be out of the sight of the audience so that it felt like the sound was just emanating up out of the earth and like enveloping you in the space. (laughs) I mean, and you weren't like paying attention or being distracted by like, oh, what's that violin player doing? Oh, look at that cool instrument. What's that? It's a nice contribution, I will say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No comment from Elspeth. Nope. Okay. So yeah, those are those are the fun. Those are some fun fa- fun facts about Bayreuth, the festival house. So how did Wagner die? What happened there? Like what at the end of his life? So he, the ring happens. People like it, presumably. Uh yes. Well, I mean, it it gets a following pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, do we have any other so, output from him before death time? Before no, he writes Parsifal. Right. Oh right, right. He writes Parsifal. Um, and then he dies of a heart attack. Ooh. At the age of 70. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
he spent less than 20 years at like really the top of his game or like of great acclaim. Well, not the top of his game, but he spent the last 20 years of his life when he was getting like the funding. Right. And from an 18-year-old King Ludwig II. Oh, I didn't realize he was so young. He was he was that young when he ascended mm-hmm. from and he was not in Germany or in Bayreuth when he died. He was actually in Venice. And apparently, he and Cosima, although this is unsubstantiated Let's hear it. rumor, hearsay. want to hear it. Hearsay. <laughs> hearsay. He says that uh, Wagner and Cosima were having an argument about his... Um, she perceived it as amorous interests towards one of the young Rhine maidens and one of the... Or flower maidens in the Parsifal production. Of course. Oh, dang. Of course. Um, and they were arguing about it, and in the middle of the argument, he had a heart attack, apparently. Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, rumor has it. <laughs> although, you know, there's no credible evidence to suggest this is true. Hmm. Um, but because he died in Venice, um, his there was a gondola that they put his body on and, like, floated him through the Grand Canal. Oh, and Jesus. Then, he was eventually moved to, um, his body was moved to Bayreuth at his house there, which is the Villa von Fried. So that's where he was ultimately buried. Mm. And his, so that you mentioned, Elspeth, that his descendants run Bayreuth. Mm-hmm. So like, yes. there is a lineage. I feel like with many composers, we don't have like a lineage that can be tracked. There is a very distinct lineage There's, that you can track. Yes, yeah. and I actually, I have it all written down, so we'll save it for another Ring Cycle episode. I'll do a little... Of the names? Yeah, I have I have <laughs> it written down of, like, who ran it and then who took over and then how... And there was a little bit of, like, a, a thing because... Well, I'll save it for another episode. Is there a, a Brunhilde Wagner? I don't think there's a Brunhilde <laughs> Wagner, but the... the The... Progeny that run it today are actually two women that run it today, nice. mm-hmm. um, and they are both descendants of Wagner. Although the family history is a little twisted, and so yeah, we'll get into that, that, that later. Got yeah, I think. Well, we talked too long. No, go ahead, Kyle. Yes, that's so. We've included quite a lot. I think uh, almost like Wagner, uh, we've kind of gone on uh, and on and on. We talked too long about this asshole. <laughs> So at least for now, I think we got to wrap this one up and then we'll be back with you yes. very soon with more episodes on The Ring, getting into the nitty gritty of the operas themselves. Yeah. Well, we'll right. actually talk about the stories and the characters and the music. So you'll get a good sense of source material. All that jazz. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about the source material. Um, so you'll, we'll actually dive into the operas themselves. But for now, we've given you a nice whirlwind tour right. through... The romantic life of Wagner. <laughs> the sketchy life and, of Wagner. And some of the musical things that Ugh. are helpful to know as before we start the rest of our exploration. Oh, right. Gross, 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 gross. As we look ahead to, to other episodes, make sure that you find us on social media. Uh, follow our, our different accounts just so you can be uh, aware of when new episodes are coming out. Also make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you would like to be quite generous, it would be great if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps people find Opera After Dark. Or or you could go to patreon.com slash opera after dark 
uh, and support the podcast in a different way. Uh, as I Give us a dollar. Yeah, as I've said before, it certainly helps us in growing our podcast and, uh, and adding different elements to, to the content that we present. So we certainly appreciate everybody that goes to patreon.com slash opera after dark. So thanks again for listening in to this episode about Wagner. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you back very soon with some more episodes about his ring cycle. Until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. Bye. Bye. Bye.